This is for Gisela. When I was a kid in the mid to late 1960s, Saturday nights were often spent at my grandparents' house, which was fun for a lot of reasons, not the least of which was that they had color TV before we did. And most of those Saturday nights were spent in front of the TV as part of a ritual that never seemed to vary. A bath followed by a bowl of Neapolitan ice cream, the kind with chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry stripes, and the Lawrence Welk Show, followed by the Hollywood Palace. My grandparents liked Lawrence Welk. Every once in a while, if the Welk band was playing a peppy number, they'd get up and dance around the living room. As for me, I had ice cream, so everybody was happy. When I think about the Lawrence Welk Show, the first word that comes to mind is white. Welk's band was all white, playing white bread music for white audiences, with the men in the audience and in the band often wearing white shoes. Words that do not come to mind are fresh, young, or innovative. But there's no denying that the Lawrence Welk Show has a place in mid-century pop culture. The last new episode was produced in 1982, but the show still runs on PBS stations across the country usually on Saturday nights. Today on The Potluck, we look at Lawrence Welk, the musical tradition he launched, the regulars who made up his TV family, the fatherly discipline he exercised over them, and how he beat the odds to become a TV legend. I'm starting to think that maybe we should do a potluck thing. Potluck, potluck. The potluck is going really great. A potluck, seriously, seriously. This is the Incredible Inman's Pop Culture Potluck. Welcome to the Potluck. I'm David Inman. The rise of Lawrence Welk's TV career and the rise of rock and roll happened roughly at the same time, maybe even in reaction to each other. Welk and his band went on TV for the first time in 1951. The medium was primitive. It was even more primitive on the West Coast, which is where Welk's show originated. At that time, most network programming was being produced on the East Coast, and much of what appeared on local Los Angeles TV were filmed recordings of live shows from New York City, which were often several days, if not weeks, old. Welk had just moved his band to Southern California from Chicago. He was born in North Dakota, the sixth of eight children. His family had immigrated from the Ukraine about 10 years earlier. They were of German descent, so that's the language that was spoken around the house. The family ran a farm. Welk left school in the fourth grade to work full time. He also developed a love of music, and he talked his father into buying him an accordion with the proviso that in return he would work on the farm until he was 21. He did, but the day he turned 21, he left town to form a band that would be known as the Hotsy Totsy Boys. They got a job with a South Dakota radio station and then hit the road playing dances and other engagements, and Welk finally learned how to speak English. Welk was a devout Catholic with conservative taste in music, traditional waltzes and foxtrots with the kind of steady, predictable beat that people could dance to 
but with a light touch led by Welk and his accordion. One patron remarked that the music was as light as champagne, and soon enough the band was known as Lawrence Welk and his champagne music makers. Their theme song was true to the brand. It was called Bubbles in the Wine. During the 1930s, Welk's band became more popular and toured the Midwest, most often in the Milwaukee and Chicago areas. In the late 1940s, the band had its own network radio show sponsored by Miller High Life, known in those days as the Champagne of Bottled Beers. The band stayed true to Welk's roots. Jazz gained in popularity in the post-war years, but Welk's band hardly ever touched it beyond an occasional Dixieland number. In the 1950s, Welk and his band relocated to Southern California, and his band began a long engagement at the Aragon Ballroom at Venice Beach. That same year, the band made its debut on local TV, sponsored by a Dodge dealer. To make the best impression in the new medium of television, bubbles were shot across the screen by a bubble machine. And like another popular TV performer, Arthur Godfrey, Welk featured a group of performers like his family, who were featured each week and developed their own followings. Welk himself was always a little stiff on screen, which is odd considering he spent his career on a bandstand in front of hundreds of people. He was also self-conscious about his command of English. Here's an example from his first ABC show. My good friends and a pleasant hello it's indeed a pleasure to be with you and we'd like to express our thanks to the Dodge Steelers of America for giving us this opportunity to play for you we're very happy about it so may we say it with music one two Welk's female vocalist was known as the champagne lady the first champagne lady was Jane Walton Rosen who left the show when she got married the next champagne lady was singer Alice Lawn, but Welk fired her because on one episode she crossed her legs and he felt she was showing too much knee. Fan mail turned against him and he tried to rehire her, but she refused. She was later replaced by Norma Zimmer. Welk's show was so popular with Los Angeles audiences that the ABC TV network took notice, and in the summer of 1955, Welk joined the network sponsored again by Dodge. To younger people and those with more varied musical tastes, Welk's show was corny and Welk was a stiff. He once read a cue card as, and now we feature songs that were popular in World War I. But the people who loved him really loved him. The fatherly image he conveyed and the way he would dance with the older ladies in the audience during polka numbers. My great aunt and uncle were also huge fans and guess what kind of car they bought time after time? A Dodge. 
Musical taste changed in the 1950s with the advent of rock and roll and singers like Elvis Presley, the likes of which were barely acknowledged on Lawrence Welk's Dodge Dancing Party, as the show was originally known. Someone once asked Welk about rock and roll, and he answered characteristically, that's not my cup of dish. Welk's musical family got bigger and bigger with the likes of honky-tonk pianist Joanne Castle, accordionist Myron Florin, Irish tenor Joe Feeney, and the dancing team of Bobby Burgess and Barbara Boylan, who was later replaced by Sissy King. Not everyone stayed around. Clarinetist Pete Fountain left the band when Welk wouldn't let him add a jazz solo to one of his songs. But others experienced a popularity that went far beyond the Welk show. What a pleasure it is to do a show with those people around here. It's encore time, as you can see now, by the lovely little Lennon girls. And the song tonight, You Belong to Me. In late 1955, Welk's son Larry Jr. told his father about a group known as the Lennon Sisters. Janet, Kathy, Peggy, and Diane Lennon were part of a family of 11 children, devoutly Catholic as was Welk. Welk heard the girls and immediately booked them for that week's show, which aired on Christmas Eve, and they stayed with Welk for 13 years until 1968. Through it all, Welk maintained his squeaky clean image. He was a daily communicant at church, and he moderated marital disputes between members of his musical family. Don Henley, co-founder of the Eagles, tells the story of going to a Welk concert when he was nine years old. He ducked backstage to get the drummer's autograph, and there was Welk walking arm in arm with two nuns. But for every viewer who loved Lawrence Welk, there were those who didn't. And in 1956, comic Stan Freeberg got together with band leader and arranger Billy May to satisfy them. Thank you. Thank you and good evening, friends. Um, we're coming to you once again from the beautiful Aragon Ballroom on Lick Pier at beautiful Santa Monica Beach, California. Now, we've been getting lots of cards and letters from you folks out there in the television land. And we surely do thank you for, uh, for, uh, for all the cards and the letters uh, from you folks out there in the television land. Uh, starting us off tonight is our trio, the Lemon Sisters. And girls, uh, what are you going to sing? We're going to sing, thank you for all those cards and letters you folks out there in television land. Lant. Lant. And after appropriate the number, uh, one and two and...
bobble machine. Turn off just a moment. I'm sorry. Hold it just a moment, please. Um, turn off the bobble machine. Please turn off the bobble. Uh, thank you, Lemon Sisters, for that lovely number. A wonderful, a wonderful. And now on the way with the show. Here's that man with the deep, deep voice, Larry Looper. Uh, Larry, what are you going to sing for us, Larry? I'm going to sing thank you for all those cards and letters. You I'm folks sorry have. that number has been taken. Wonderful, wonderful, as the song was known, would forever associate Welk with that catchphrase. Originally, he claimed he never said it, but it became such a part of his public persona that he used it as the title of his autobiography. The Lawrence Welk Show kept going strong through the 1960s, and every once in a while, a stab was taken at performing a popular number. One of the most infamous examples came in 1971 with this rendering of a Brewer and Shipley song that was on the pop charts. One toke over the line, sweet Jesus, one toke over the line. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. Waiting for the train that goes home, sweet Mary, hoping that the train is on time. Sitting downtown in a railway station, one toke over the line. Who do you love? I hope it's me. Nineteen seventy one was also the year that ABC decided that Welk's audience was getting too old to appeal to advertisers, and the Lawrence Welk show was cancelled. But as it turned out, it was far from dead. Welk himself began syndicating the show to stations across the country, and two hundred and fifty of them bought it. Many of them were ABC affiliates who scheduled it on Saturday nights. Under this system, the show would run another 11 seasons. In 1981, I began writing a TV and movie trivia Q&A column for the Courier-Journal in Louisville, my hometown. And one of the questions I got most often involved the Lawrence Welk Show. It was about a real-life couple who sang on the show, known as Guy and Rolna. They were very popular regulars, but in the early 1980s, there were rumors of their impending split readers wanted to know if the rumors were true, and in 1984 they did indeed divorce. So even in the mid-1980s, Lawrence Welk's musical family was making headlines. By 1986, the Lawrence Welk show had been out of production for four years, and the broadcast rights to the series were purchased by the Oklahoma Educational Television Authority, which began offering the show to public TV stations across the country where they've been running ever since, again, usually on Saturday nights. As for Welk, he died in 1992 at age 89. The obituaries remembered the show, Welk's success, and his own unique stage presence, calling to mind one of his sayings, you know, it's a long world. Sweet sorrow to part. 
My name's David Inman. Thanks for listening. See you later.